Welcome to the EMSO Talks Podcast. Hello, this is Brett Rosen, strategist and economist for Latin America at EMSO Asset Management, and welcome to another edition of EMSO Talks. Today, I'm going to discuss our outlook on Mexico and, and touch on some themes that we have found interesting, um, give some thoughts on how we're looking at the macro economy, and also touching on the political situation as well. The, the main theme that's really been occupying investors' minds a lot over the last months or year or so has been the phenomenon of nearshoring, for which Mexico is really well-placed to benefit from and is already benefiting from. And what do we mean by nearshoring? When we speak about nearshoring, the idea here is that multinational corporations, which perhaps in the past had located their factories, supply chains, production, and so on in further away countries, geographically speaking, and and in many cases would be China, are now moving production closer to home. And so if you consider that Mexico shares a border with the United States, that and, and hence the transport costs from Mexico would be much less than they would be in parts of Asia, for example. If you then consider what the world lived through during the time of COVID when supply chains got blocked up and then factoring as well geopolitical risk, Mexico increasingly looks like a more attractive uh, destination for multinationals, in particular here I'm referring to U.S. multinationals, to locate factories, production, and so on. And, and why Mexico, aside from the geography, you have a fairly cheap labor force. And then additionally, you have Mexico produces a large amount of engineers on, on an annual basis from some of its technical universities. So Factoring all that in, Mexico is competitive in, in many different industries, especially in, in, in manufacturing of automobiles, auto parts, and so on, but not just restricted to that, and then gains a large competitive, competitiveness advantage given the fact that Mexico is geographically so close to the United States. So we've been paying a lot of attention to this um, phenomenon in, in recent weeks and months here at EMSO. And financial markets have taken notice as well. And so the Mexican peso has been among the best performing currencies in emerging markets for the last several months. And part of this has been attributed to a growing enthusiasm around nearshoring. The fact that more and more corporations are investing in capacity buildup, investing in factories, investing in warehouses, principally in the northern region of Mexico, where, again, they would have the benefit of being geographically in close proximity to the United States. And in many cases, there are products where the product itself may go back and forth across the border many times during the production process. And so, again, it makes sense in many cases to locate uh, in that region. When we look at nearshoring as well, you know, I mentioned auto parts, but this can be a whole variety of different industries. It can be aerospace, it can be computer chips, it can be a whole set of different industries for which Mexico has a competitive advantage and for it makes sense for companies perhaps to locate their supply chains. From an economic standpoint, what have we seen? We've seen a 
growing pressure on wages in the northern part of Mexico, especially for talent that would be attractive to some of the types of companies that I've been mentioning, and a very short supply of logistics, warehouse space, and so on as this rush gains more momentum. So that's a little bit about nearshoring. From a macroeconomic standpoint, does this mean that Mexico is going to grow instead of perhaps one and a half to two percent as it's done for most of the last decade to four or five, six percent? We would think not. Um, when we look at the impact from NAFTA around 30 years ago, it did not completely transform the growth path for Mexico, albeit it was a positive impact. And we would argue that nearshoring is probably less of a revolutionary impact on Mexico than NAFTA was. But that said, we would expect over time FDI, foreign direct investment, to be robust and for Mexico to receive a, a moderate increase in its potential growth rate over time by function of nearshoring. Moving on, the next topic that we want to focus on is remittances. And this has been another um, explanation for the strong performance of the peso uh, in recent months. So when we speak about remittances, these are funds that Mexicans are sending back to Mexico, i.e. Mexicans that live in the United States or maybe in Spain or other parts of the world, and they're sending money back to their families or friends in Mexico. Over the last 12 months, this totaled $59 billion. So we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of 4 to 4.5% of Mexico GDP represented by these remittances. And they've been growing at a double-digit pace now. In 2022, remittances were up 13% over the prior year. In 2021, they're up 27%. Why have they grown so much? Well, Part of it is due to the strong labor market in the U.S. over the last year, year and a half, um, post the, the worst part of COVID. Additionally, we've had significant fiscal transfers in the U.S., so this fed into growing remittances going back to Mexico. And we've seen strong wages in a lot of sectors within the United States. So these, again, are Mexican nationals or Mexican workers in the United States or of Mexican origin sending money back to their home country. And this has been, again, a positive factor in support of peso performance. Moving on, want to speak a couple minutes about what we're seeing from monetary policy and what we're seeing in terms of inflation. So, you know, the Central Bank of Mexico um, has been pretty strict in terms of its policy stance. And, and they've lifted the, the benchmark rate now up to 11 and a quarter percent. This is an all-time high. So similar to other Latin American central banks, we have double-digit nominal interest rate. And the central bank has moved its policy rate into a clearly restrictive stance. And so now the question is, is when will they stop the hikes and when will they start to cut? And at the moment, the market is pretty split whether or not they will do one more hike or whether they will pause at their next meeting. But eventually, we would expect that rate cuts can start to happen later in the year. Of course, a lot will depend on the fortunes of the U.S. economy, given the strong linkages between Mexico and the U.S. A lot will depend 
on what the Federal Reserve is doing. And then, of course, a lot will depend on inflationary trends within Mexico. So Mexico, similar to many other emerging markets, similar to United States, has seen inflation at an at a highly pressured rate for quite some period of time. But we've now seen in the last couple of months some signs that inflation has peaked, that core inflation, which is a big focus of central bank, is starting to decelerate. Now, we're still around 8% year-over-year in core inflation. But when we look at it on a monthly basis, core inflation now is starting to converge back to its average for the pre-pandemic level. And, And what contributed high inflation in Mexico? A lot of what we saw globally, supply chain factors in particular, were a big reason for the elevated inflation in Mexico. When we looked at subcomponents such as processed foods and so on, these were categories that bore the weight or bear the weight of supply chain um, characteristics pressuring up prices. So overall, we still see inflation above target. Target is 3%. It will be probably not till twenty twenty, late 2024 or more likely the early part of 2025 that inflation actually gets to 3%. And the central bank at its last monetary policy meeting once again came out with a forecast suggesting that target would not be reached till around that period of time. But we do feel that there may have been an inflection point reached in inflation in Mexico, which is supportive of the idea that the central bank can start to cut rates um, later on um, in 2023. And an area of focus for us has been the rates market in Mexico, especially um, looking at receiving rates in the belly of the curve. What, el- what else is differentiating Mexico from some of the other emerging markets that we look at is on the fiscal side. And so when we look at Brazil, when we look at Chile, when we look at many other EM countries, in particular in Latin America, which is my focus, there were large fiscal um, stimulus packages during the COVID of part of 2020 and 2021. And you saw debt to GDP ratios increase dramatically. You saw large fiscal deficits in these countries. And now Brazil, Chile, and others are, are having to face kind of the hangover, so to speak, of these large fiscal packages. Mexico, ironically, even though it has a we'll say a center left and somewhat populist leadership did not pursue this path. And so the stimulus that Mexico did was a fraction of what we saw in other EM countries and even in other developed market countries as well, including the U.S. And so as a result, you know, debt to GDP did not expand significantly as we saw in many other emerging markets countries. And overall, the impact on public finances was very limited. So when we look going back to inflation, inflation was less charged by fiscal factors, i.e. you didn't have massive fiscal transfers that pressured inflation as we've seen in many other countries. Moving on, and just to conclude, um, we'll touch on politics for a couple of minutes. So um, President Lopez Obrador, his term will finish in 2024. Uh, The presidential term in Mexico is a six-year term, and he remains quite popular. And so he is amongst the most popular presidents within Latin America 
He's been consistently in the mid 50s or even low 60s in terms of approval ratings, which compares very favorably with almost all other leaders of large Latin American countries who are between the 20s and 40s for the most part. And why is this? Well, economic growth has not been all that stellar. I mentioned that the fiscal transfers had, were much less, the fiscal policy was much less aggressive than other countries within Latin America, but he's maintained a form of communication, an ability to, let's just say, connect, so to speak, with large sections of the population. And there have been increases in particular targeted social programs that have helped um, secure um, in his fifth year now, or going on his fifth last year, coming up in the summer of his mandate. And now the market has been starting to look more at the outlook for elections in 2024. So we're about a year and a few months away from that event. And given the president's popularity, the market and most observers and political analysts believe that his successor as president will come from his Morena party. And there's several names that have been um, kind of mentioned as possible candidates, including um, the mayor of Mexico City, Claudia Scheinbaum, who at this point is leading in polls and has a fairly healthy advantage over um, other opposition party candidates, albeit she has not yet been defined as the lead candidate. Overall, we would say that you know, in a region where elections tend to be major market events, and we've seen this, you know, we saw this in Brazil in October, and we've seen it in Peru, we've seen it in Colombia, we've seen it in Chile. We would say that the election in 2024, at least at this point, does not seem to be an event that would generate the same type of market volatility that we've seen in other Latin American countries uh, in, in recent years. So with that, that's a little bit about how we are looking at Mexico in the current environment. And if you have further questions, please feel free to reach out to our investor relations team. Thank you.